From St. John's Gospel, Jesus said to her, Mary, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome, and I'm glad you're here. If you don't know me, if you've never been here before or you just forgot, because it's been about a year. <laughs> my, name is, <laughs> my name is Father Chris Rodriguez. I'm the rector of this parish. And actually, speaking of a year ago, at this very same spot, at this very same time, I was preaching to absolutely nobody. It was all online, and it was weird. Uh, I'm not sure what's more difficult, actually, preaching to an empty building or preaching to people that have masks on, because I, I can't really read you. But anyway... What a, year, what a difference just one year makes, right? The Lord is finally bringing us through this whole thing. And so now here we are, thanks be to God. And um, I've decided to do something a little bit different this year. If you've been here before, or even if you watched us online last year, my Easter sermons typically go something like this. Did the resurrection really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What's the historical proof, the evidence, the facts that convinces us that the resurrection really occurred? Friends, I've done that sort of shtick, that sort of angle, every year for the first 17 years of my ordained ministry. And the reason I did that is because if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is a lie. Paul says this. St. Paul says this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, he's Paul's a straight shooter, right? So he says this, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain. It's a waste of time. So let's just cut to the chase, right? If the resurrection didn't occur, then we're all wasting our time and we're all a bunch of suckers. <laughs> uh, and so every year, because I figured I've got a few folks here that don't go to church every Sunday, or at least don't go, don't go here every Sunday, I thought, well, let me just give them the full gorilla, the full court press. Let's give them a crash course in Christianity, and maybe it'll stick. And friends, I will tell you, I realized last week as I was prepping for this sermon that that strategy, if you want to call it that, was a colossal failure. I'll tell you why. Maybe you can set me straight later on, but I do not know of one single person, including myself, incidentally, get to that later. I don't know of anybody who heard the historical evidence for the resurrection and said, sign me up, I'm in. I've never heard anybody who has read, heard the evidence and said, you know, yeah, I get it. I'm going to be a Christian. Never, that's never, I've never seen that happen. I have seen people read the evidence, and believe me, there's lots and lots of evidence didn't always believe this, but I do now, that the resurrection, the historic, historicity of the resurrection is irrefutable. If you want books on it, see me afterwards. My point is, though, no one's ever converted by the facts. I wasn't. The facts made Christianity more plausible to me. I mean, if you don't know this, um, I, I, I'm not a I'm kind of a left-brained guy. Uh, I was working on a PhD in industrial psychology. I taught statistics and scientific research methods. I was a computer engineer after that. So I'm kind of a left-brained, science-prove-it-to-me kind of guy. And the facts, I will tell you, the facts did lead me towards Jesus. It made Christianity at least kind of plausible, or erased some doubt, I should say. But the facts didn't convince me, and I'll tell you what did. The same thing that happened to Mary. 
So I've decided not to give you the facts today because the facts don't work, and quite frankly, that's not the way that Jesus works. The way he works is always the same. I'm going to show you in two points, and it's the same story always. First thing, it's not evidence. It's a personal encounter with Jesus. And second thing, we see a change in heart. And that word heart means not your emotions. It means your, your guts, your core. So what, what actually is going on with this resurrection? How do, people, how do people come to faith in Christ? Well, it's from a personal encounter with Jesus. Let me get to that. And then we see a change in heart. So first thing, this idea of a personal encounter. You know, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian or, you know, you're kind of here because your wife made you come or your parents made you come here. Look, a personal encounter sounds weird, but it's actually like anybody else you know. If Jesus Christ is a real person and he's raised from the dead, which those things are both true, then you would meet Jesus like you would meet anybody else. And you begin to see something also. If you read through scripture, you begin to see that the people in the story are just like you. Peter, <laughs> Peter, right? The famous Peter betrays Jesus three times, right? Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, I refuse to believe. We'll get to him next week. But let me just point out to you that when you go to, when you look through scripture and you see these people that are in the text, you've got to realize that they are just like me and you. And so we see that today with Mary Magdalene. It says, John says, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, not Monday, Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away. She sees three things, actually. The stone is rolled away. Her, well, the clothes are there. John doesn't tell us that, but Mark and, Ma and Matthew, Matthew and Luke do. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. His clothes are there. And there's two angels. And the angels, not in John's gospel, but in Matthew and Luke, say, He is not here. He is risen. Mary Magdalene, and I'll get to the, the evidence in a second, but let me just make a point here. If you're making all this stuff up, like if, you're, if you have for some reason some crazy idea to make up Christianity for some sort of financial gain, which is nonsense because they were all killed, but if you were going to make this story up, let me just tell you this. Mary Magdalene is the very last person that you use as your star witness. She is the very last person. She's a woman, and women could not testify in a court of law. Their, their testimony was not considered valid. That's strike number one. Strike number two, Mary had issues. I said this morning at eight, if, if, if Dr. Phil is still on TV, and I don't know if he is or not, but, if, but he would be, she, Mary would be on Dr. Phil. <laughs> And the reason I know this is because, it, it's because Scripture tells us that it's at one point Mary had seven demons cast, Jesus cast seven demons out of her. We don't know what that means, but, you know, use your imagination. Point is, Mary has culturally zero, zero credibility. So the last person you use as your star witness, if you're making this stuff up, right, the last person you use is Mary Magdalene. And there's other examples, you know. Peter, Thomas, Kanye West. Oh, no, wait, they, he is actually. <laughs> Look, here's the thing I'm going to move on. If, if the resurrection is fake news, right? That's the big hip term now. If the resurrection is fake news, then guess what? The last people you use are the people that are actually in here. So why use them? Well, there's only one reason. Because they're real people and the stories are true. And so what you, what you begin to see is you look at these people's lives in Scripture, and it's not evidence that changes them. 
It's a personal encounter. Let me show you Mary's story. So think about it. She walks to the tomb. She's got the fact. Watch this. She goes to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. How'd that happen? Oh. The tomb is empty. Where'd he go? The burial cloths are there. There's two angels. And they say, hey, Mary, good morning. Morning. You guys seen Jesus? Uh, he's, been, he's not here. He's been raised. Oh, okay. She's got all the evidence she needs. I mean, she's got all the evidence she could possibly need. And she's upset, and she's scared, and she's distraught, and she, she sees Jesus standing there. She thinks he's the gardener, and she says, do you know where they've taken his body? There's some humor in that, I think. What converts her, look at it again, is really kind of subtle and profound at the same time, like all the scripture. What changes her heart, her guts, her core, is that Jesus speaks her name. He says, Mary. Mary. See, it's not evidence, it's not facts that converts the human heart. It's not an empty tomb or even angels that convinces Mary. No, man. What convinces Mary, listen, because it's always the same, is a personal encounter with Jesus. That's what converts the human heart. She sees him, and she gets it. Now I'm going to say this, and it might sting, which is actually why I'm saying it. There's an old saying in scripture, not preaching, you know, preaching circles. You, know, you guys all follow that, right? All the headlines on preaching techniques. An old saying that a good preacher comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. So here we go. Here we go. You ready? I'm going to say this because it's true. If your religion is lukewarm, if you're wishy-washy in your faith about Jesus, if you don't really care all that much, if you'd rather sleep in on Sunday morning than be here in church, if you'd rather, uh, I don't know, Watch Dr. Phil, then be here. It's not because of the facts. It's because you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's why. The reason that you are not committed to being a Christian and being in church every Sunday with your brothers and sisters in Christ is not because you're not convinced. That's what you want to believe. That's not true. It's because you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, at least not yet. And if you're thinking I'm, be, I'm pointing a finger at you, I'm not, because I was in that spot one time. I was there once. I was not raised in a, in a seriously Christian home. Um, I was no choir boy, God knows. And, uh, and you know, I, I just thought Christianity was kind of stupid and pointless, I'll be honest with you. When I was a kid, when we did go to church on Christmas and Easter, yes, I was a C&E, like maybe a few of you, I get it. I get it. I was there. And so I'm not pointing a finger, but I am going to share this with you. You know, I, didn't want, I really didn't want to be in church. My parents made me go. Why? I don't even know. But the reason I didn't want to be there is because I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't know that at the time, but I know it now. I, I, I was never an atheist. I believed in God of some kind, right? The force or I don't know. I never really thought about it a whole lot because no one ever challenged me to think about it. But say I believed in, you know, a higher power. And I'm not knocking the AA people. I'll get to that in a second. But I believe at a higher power, right? Something's out there besides me. Most people are there that aren't Christians. And then it occurred to me one time, well, okay, higher than what exactly? I mean, in Florida, it'd be higher than everything else is to be on a, on a cell tower, right? That's the highest thing you have in Florida, right? Mount Dora, yeah, spare me. What is this higher power stuff? What if, and I was thinking about it. What if this higher power is actually, stay with me, the highest power in the universe? What if that highest power in the universe 
created, I don't know, time and space and galaxies and quarks and tadpoles. What if that highest power in the universe created me and created you? What if that highest power in the universe created me, created you, has a plan for me and for you, and here's where it gets interesting, has such concern for and love for you that the highest power actually gave his own life to save me and to save you. Now that's personal. You know, when I was in Red, in Red Bank, I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank. I always wound up at Trinity Churches for some reason, but I, I uh, was at Trinity Church in Red Bank. We had a huge AA gathering there and had been there forever. And once a year I'd go and I'd talk to the people that were there and it was great. I loved those people. They were just great stories and just really, really awesome people. And I said to them one time, I said, hey, y'all, I'm glad you're here. I'm Father Chris. I'm, from, I'm the rector here. I know y'all believe in the higher power. They're like, yep, the higher power is what gets us through it. I said, I get it. I said, well, guess what? I believe in a higher power too. I said, and his name is Jesus. And, they, and some of them said, amen. Some of them had no idea what I was talking about. But the point is, you see, it's not until this becomes personal and real that it changes anybody. It's the same with Mary. Come back to her. She's not converted by facts. She's got all the facts. She's converted by a personal relationship with Jesus. She's converted by a personal relationship with Jesus. It's always that way. For the next six weeks at Easter season, we're going to look at all these characters and how Jesus converts them through a personal experience. So friends, here's the first thing I want to say and I'm going to move on. Here's the deal. Christianity is made real only by a personal encounter with Jesus. And it leads to, my second point is then, if that's true, it leads to a change in heart. Look at this. This is cool. Something about Mary, right? That was a movie, wasn't it? Something about Mary. Anyway, as soon as Jesus calls her name, Mary, Mary, Mary. I wonder how he said it. Mary. Hey, Mary. I don't know, who knows? But as soon as he calls her name, as soon as Mary has an intimate personal encounter with him, man, her entire being is transformed. I mean, think about it. Here is Mary, and she, it's dark. She's confused. She's, she's, you know, the angels say, well, what, what, who are you looking for? She's looking for her dead friend. She's not looking for a, a resurrected Jesus. She had no idea. So she goes there. She's confused. She's scared. She's, uh, it's dark. She's awfully brave. For a woman to go out there by herself would have been pretty gutsy. So she's got all this emotions flying around, all this doubt and anxiety and fear and worry. And then Mary. And all that stew is changed to joy. Rabboni, she says. It's changed to fearlessness. And the reason I know that is she runs to the rest of the guys and says, fellas, I've seen the Lord. For a woman to go to a bunch of men and say that is gutsy, but she's not fearful. Why? Because she's had a personal encounter with the Lord. Don't you see? This is my point. If the resurrection is true, and it is, if the resurrection is true and it is, then, man, that changes everything because now what it means is that you can have a personal relationship with him. I have been a priest now for, I don't know, 17, 18 years, and I will tell you something that I've learned long ago that everyone has got something. Everyone's got something. We spend a lot of time pretending we don't have something, but guess what? Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something going on in their life right now. Doubts, fears, struggles, anxieties, worries. 
Am I going to make it to lunch on time if he keeps preaching this long? I don't know. <laughs> don't worry. It could be anything, right? I mean, a difficult marriage. It can be a problem with your children, which is a lot of times what it is. Money problems. Anyway, maybe a family member you've not spoken to in years. Your father or your mother or your spouse or your child who's died and you just can't let it go. Whatever it is. You know, friends, we've all got lives and stories. Fill in the blank, man. These things, they, you're experiencing what Mary experienced. Worry, anxiety, fear, struggle. But yet, let me show you. The resurrection points us to something way bigger. Something which transcends all the stuff that goes on in our lives. And what Jesus tells us, and we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks, that when he returns, we will be resurrected like he was, where the Lord will reestablish heaven and earth, where he will wipe away every tear from every eye. But friends, the only way to know Jesus, the only way to get there, is not to read about him. I mean, you should read about him in Scripture, but to talk to him. The only way to know Jesus is to know Jesus, kind of like anybody else in your life that you know. Yeah, your friends can introduce you to them, which Christians should be doing. But the way you get to know somebody is you talk to them. You learn about them. The only way to learn about Jesus is to know, to learn about Jesus. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking to yourself, all right, Rodriguez, fine, I get it. But look, Mary had an advantage, right? 2,000 years ago, he appeared to her in the garden. He's not here like he was then. Well, two things, not so fast. A, Jesus is very much alive. And secondly, Here's the zinger. He really is still present with us. He really is. Even now, in a couple of ways, through Scripture. Ever read the Bible? I had a sermon preached, and it goes right to your guts. He was speaking right to me. That's not me, man. That's the Lord speaking to you. What about in the, you read Scripture, you see God, Jesus talking, and it hits you, and it gets you, right? You, you get to learn who he is. Or, or even when you receive the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist, or Here's another one. This is the important one. Jesus says this. That he says, you know, in 1 Corinthians, where is it? Matthew 18, 20. He says, look, you want to, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Listen to that. I don't know where Jesus is. Well, guess what? He's right here. Jesus says this. When two or three are gathered together in my name, I am among them. That word is sunago. And it means to be like shoulder to shoulder, like a if I played rugby, which I never did, in a scrum, right? I'm with you. I'm there with you. I'm beside you. You know, when, when people come to church here, they tell me, like, you know, Father, we, this church is amazing. We can feel it. Of course you can. That's what he says. When two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among them. I'm among you. You know, just, just a week and a half ago, I had a dinner with two guys who live up north, Seth Lynn and Jim Flint. Hey, guys, if you're online with us right now. Uh, they are, J Seth lives in Massachusetts somewhere, Marblehead, I think, and Jim lives in Connecticut. And they are married, their wives are both cousins, so these two guys have struck up a friendship. And Seth Lynn found us online, Trinity's live stream. He called his buddy, hey, Jim, let's watch. So they watch it online on Sunday mornings, even though they live in different parts of the country. And so they'd never been here. And every week they would watch it faithfully. And then a week ago, they showed up. We had a great time. They were at coffee hour last week, if you were here. And he said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, Trinity is an amazing church. And I said, yes, it's, a, it's an amazing place. And he said, there's nothing like being here. And I said, yes, you're right. And he said, yes, because Jesus is present. Jesus says it. When two or three are gathered together, I'm among you. Friends, here's the deal. I mean, it's not 
rocket science. If you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, you've got to be here where he is, where two or three are gathered. So here's my challenge to you on this Easter day, because I'm guessing there's a lot of people here that don't go every Sunday, and that's okay. I'm not picking on you. Well, maybe a little bit, but not really. I'm not picking on you because I'm not picking on you. I'm telling you, this is where I was there one time too, and I want to challenge you on something this. Here's the question. Here's my charge for you, for all of you. Is this Easter Sunday going to be another year where you hear all the words and you do nothing about it? Or are you going to decide today, right now, that you in fact want to have a relationship with this Jesus, this God who created you, who loves you, who has a plan for you, who died for you, who rose from the dead for you? Because the ball's in your court, man. It's up to you to make a decision. Jesus laid all of his cards on the table. The resurrection proves that he is who he claimed to be. And he's invited you into that to be, have a personal relationship with him. But it's up to you. He's invited you. And he offers you a life of victory, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of hope, a life, a life, a life of joy, not without suffering, but even in the midst of it. But look, it's your move. If you want to meet Jesus, then you got to meet him where he is. If you want to meet Jesus, then we'll see you here next week. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that on this day your son Jesus Christ rose from the dead. For me. For all of us. Lord, give us the courage to accept his invitation to have a personal relationship with him. Lord, teach us to speak with him, not about him. To think about him to pray to him, to walk with him. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we have been given the privilege to have a personal relationship with you, our creator. Help us to take this charge seriously. Help us to live lives of joy and hope in the glory of his resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.